there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome to Giant, a Spotify original in association with Mundial. Football stories that matter, told by the people who were there. I'm Owen Blackhurst. You're going to enjoy this one. In January 2019, after Manchester City beat Liverpool 2-1 in a belting game that the world was watching, I got a message from Tyo, the executive producer of this series. Fucking hello, it read. That used to be us. That used to be us and United. So we decided to go and talk to the fans. It was hatred. I hated United. You know, as a fan, obviously I'm a journalist now, completely neutral, that's a disclaimer and all the rest of it. I mean, obviously hatred is a, a very, very strong word. But as a fan, I fucking hated United for those years. It did feel that way. The fans who have the emotions on speed dial. It had taken on in an intensity that came close to hatred, definitely. Back then, you wouldn't acknowledge anything. You wouldn't fucking acknowledge the colour they played in. Arsenal and United hated each other and had done for a good while. Anything they open their mouth about, you'd be like, fuck off. And I remember talking to um, Pat Creran in those early days of Wenger's arrival and Crown saying, Fergie really hates him. This is personal. He really hates him. I can remember a man in a bar just saying, I despise Arsene Wenger. I hate Arsene Wenger. I loathe Arsene Wenger. It was like an obsession against Arsene Wenger. And I'm like, John, you just need to, like, wind in. There are, there are greater problems in the world than Arsene Wenger. Countries are at war with each other. People are dying. I don't think I've ever hated before or ever will hate again a footballer more than, more than I hated Ruud van Nistelrooy. The fans who still carry the scars. And actually, in a way, as much as I've, like, chilled out on a lot of this, that one kind of stays a little bit. <laughs> the fans who lived it. This is like, imagine Mo Farah when he runs away from him and he's 200, he's 200 feet ahead going down the home straight. Oh, he's not, because Alex Ferguson, he's running behind him in a vest. Because he, he, will, he would rather die than lose. It's superb when there's that edge, because when you are off your seats and you are, and it does matter so much, not because you win that game, but because you're giving that other fella and that other team a bloody nose. It, it's just great. It's best. It's it's sometimes it's better than sex. The fans who miss it every single day. United was prestige. Like that was that was the real bragging rights. That was that was the war. That was the one that everybody tuned into. That's the one where you felt the whole world was like focused in on on that game. So like that was the most exciting rivalry because it was the best players. Everybody wanted Patrick Vieira. Everybody wanted Keane. I just think both teams, both managers, both sets of players, brought so much to the party that I think it taints it somehow to say they were the best, no, they were the best, no, they were the best. Because they were all the best. You don't have two managers in charge of two top-level football clubs for a period of 17 years going against each other every year. That'll never happen again. The battle between Liverpool and Manchester City might go on to dominate English football. It's a high-quality on-pitch battle. The players vote for each other in yearly awards. There's mutual respect. The managers hug. The managers talk about each other's football. But the nine-year war between Manchester United and Arsenal was a non-stop, old-school rolling dust-up. On the pitch and in the tunnels, in the press and on the telly. Between 1996 and 2005, the two clubs faced each other 29 times. The football was captivating, the players exceptional, and the shithousing, marvellous. Players move on, managers retire, old adversaries become mates. So we're not speaking to the players or the managers. We know what they say about it. We're speaking to the people who the rivalry mattered most to, the fans. This is the story of nine years of absolute mayhem. This is the story of English football's last great rivalry. Buckle up. 
It's September the 22nd, 1996. Arsenal have just unveiled an unknown Frenchman as manager. The myopic British press are up in arms. They don't like his glasses. They can't get on with his hair. And they know nothing of his pedigree. And the fans, the fans knew even less. My name's Alan Davis. I support Arsenal and I've been supporting them since I was five years old, which was in 71. I'd never heard of Arsenal Wenger at all. It was a club in a real mess. It had been a bit of a disaster after George Graham um, was fired and, uh, and then there was a lot of trouble with Merson's drinking, Adam's drinking, the transfer policy had gone to pieces over a couple of years and there was a feeling of a really great team had been broken up and, and we were in trouble, you know. Manchester United were now England's dominant team. They've done two doubles in three seasons. They'd seen off Leeds, seen off Blackburn, and they're in the process of cancelling poor old Kevin Keegan. Alex Ferguson still had the time to go straight after Arsene Wenger. They say he's an intelligent man, right? That he speaks five languages? I've got a 15-year-old from the Ivory Coast who speaks five languages. Here are three fans who became journalists to tell us all about those early shots that were fired. My name's Andy Mitten, I'm the editor of United We Stand, I'm also a football journalist. When Fergie's threatened by someone, he knows that they're a threat. Fergie wouldn't be picking fights with the manager of Oxford United. He picks fights with people who are smart, and Wenger was smart. My name's Jim White. I'm a sports writer at the Daily Telegraph. I also contribute to the Man United fanzine, United We Stand, and I've written a couple of books. One thing that really angered Ferguson, and I think genuinely made him annoyed about Wenger's arrival, was that there was this immediate attempt to cast the two of them as the modernizer and the dinosaur. And that Wenger was the guy who was coming in, he, he knew about pasta, he knew about training systems, he knew about sports science, and Fergie was old school. I'm Amy Lawrence, I write about football and I've been following Arsenal since childhood. What's most fascinating about it, the very early days of the rivalry, is that clearly Sir Alex Ferguson sees somebody coming in who's not just challenging his team, but he's also challenging the idea of what makes a great manager. Because this new person was shiny and exotic and super clever and looked different and sounded different and supposedly was, you know, reshaping all the ideas that everybody ever had about football. The two clubs actually had a history going back to the late 70s. Flashpoints in the 80s, a 21-man brawl in 1989, and plenty more. There were flashpoints in the first two games between Fergie and Wenger, flashpoints with Ian Wright and Peter Schmeichel. It's all out there if you want to read it. We haven't got time to go into it now. But the touch paper had been reignited. Later that season, Wenger responded to Fergie's comments about a fixture pileup, and Ferguson went apeshit. He said Wenger knew nothing about English football, that he should worry about Ian Wright's tackles, and that Arsenal used to be a big club. And Fergie was like, who's this bloke just come from Japan, mugging us off? Like, Who, who's he? Well, you don't... And then it was almost like the first time he'd been on Fergie's radar and set his laser sights on Wenger. And he wanted to shoot him down. So it was almost like the rivalry came from the managers to start with. United won the league again. Of course they did. Wenger had been playing with a tight squad that season, and over the summer, he signed Emmanuel Petit, Mark Overmars, and a young teenage striker named Nicolas Anelka to join a squad already containing Patrick Vieira and Dennis Bergkamp. I'm Pete Wood. I write the Le Grove blog. I think the, the player that really summed it up for me was Anelka. Like, I'd never seen pace like that and silk and the way that he glided across the pitch. Like, he was the antithesis of English football. Anelka only cost 500 grand from PSG and he broke into the team in November. Just in time for Manchester United to travel to Highbury. Well, the high and the mighty meet at Highbury this afternoon. Every chance of an eventful 90 minutes. After seven minutes, Anelka picks up a loose ball on the edge of the box. I was in the, uh, the clock end with my dad um, and he, he's had a, a way of striking the ball that, that, that felt different, like the sort of low fizz. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he was out on the left and he curled it into the bottom right-hand corner. Oh, what a goal! What a goal! From the 18-year-old, his first for the club. 
And that was how he announced himself onto the scene. Everybody was like, Nicholas Anoga, who? You're not going to play an 18-year-old like when you've got all of these strikers in the squad. Michael, shocked by the power in the right boot of Nicholas Anelka. Like, he just, he just blew up from there. Arsenal have all three points. It was a mad game. Arsenal won it 3-2. But at the end of the calendar year, they were 12 points behind. In March, the bookies started paying out on a United title win. Here's Alan Davis. What happened was around about January, December, January time, the penny dropped for Mark Overmars. He worked it out. In the first few months, he was standing, I think, on the left wing, thinking, holy smoke, what is this? They can do that here? That's all right? But he, I am black and blue. I mean, under my shirt. Never mind my ankles and my shins and my knees. If you're marking Overmars, don't let him get ahead of steam up. Put him in the ground. Once he'd worked out how to use his speed, how to get behind, and it took him six months to settle in, he was absolutely lethal, Overmars. Lethal. For the time Arsenal travelled up to Old Trafford in early March, they were still nine points behind. But they had a few games in hand. Hi, I'm Ian Bland. I've been writing for the Manchester United fanzine. United, we stand for something in the region of 15 years now. I think I was somewhere in the north stand at that game. You could see here they were able to match us, and this was the same again a couple of years later, obviously. Um, they would got great players. They'd got that, you know, that beautiful combination of strength and skill, an obdurate defence, beautiful players like Overmars, but also they've got steel in there as well. Peter Wood remembers it well. There wasn't a lot of muscle memory with fans for thinking that this was real. I, I think it still felt like this was an accident. Who is Arsene Wenger? Who are all these fancy foreigners playing? Like, they're not going to have the guts to drive this through. And um, Mark Overmars was like a one-man wrecking machine that day. 79 minutes on the clock, and Overmars raced onto a flick from Nicholas Anelka. No one could control him. And then when he broke through... And here comes Overmars. Now Arsenal have scored in the Premiership at Old Trafford. He put the ball through the keeper's legs, like just an electric feeling, like it, 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 numb, like this, surely this isn't going to happen. We're not going to go to Old Trafford and deliver a win. What a big goal. This is for Arsenal. It's a race line, make no mistake now. For Ian Bland, it was an absolute nightmare. My abiding memory of that game, obviously, and being haunted by the memory of, I think his name is Barry First. I've looked this up on the internet. He sort of haunted me for a while. Hi, my name is Barry First. I support Arsenal. I got caught on the television celebrating a certain goal. Scored by Mark Overmars. Barry unwittingly became the face of the resistance. All you could see is me and I winning it forever and a day. But uh, to have that chance, it was like, right, well, this is the time, it's now. To actually get the win there really kind of puts one over them and kind of puts us in a position where the rest of the country are like, Okay, this is Arsenal. This is we are here and we are not going to go away. So it was just that emotion of being able to actually, or actually just, it just burst out. You know, I don't, I don't do that every game. <laughs> These days, fans are always mugging to the camera, but Barry's face went turbo. It kicked it all off. It looked like his head was going to explode. When did he first realise? We had mobile phones then and, uh, and a friend of mine, Arsenal friend of mine, rang me up and said, um, by the way, you're famous. And I'm like, uh, what, really? And he said, yeah, yeah, they keep showing you on the TV. And I didn't really think too much of it, to be honest. Then he sat down with his girlfriend to watch Match of the Day. The camera panned in and obviously then I got a popped up and I had a bit of a heart attack, I've got to say. I didn't realise it was just like that. I, I was kind of looking at the TV thinking, oh, I'll see myself in the crowd in a minute. I think I should be on because he's phoned and a couple of other people have phoned up as well. And I think, oh, I'm bound to be on in a minute. And I was kind of a bit disappointed. To be honest. I thought, well, the game's finished now. I mean, that's it. And all of a sudden, bang. I thought, oh, oh dear. <laughs> the walk home from work the next day was a bit of a challenge. 
people coming up wanting autographs, which is a bit weird when you kind of give an autograph and you actually got to tell them your name. And, and they want photographs. And it was like that for two or three days, you know. And then I think once everyone had their little piece, then you could kind of get back to kind of normal life. And as for the next game at Highbury... This chap that I've never seen before in my life decided that I was the best thing since sliced bread and he would now chair me to the turnstile. Peter Wood was and still is in the Barry First fan club. That was all of us because in that moment, he's, he's thinking the same as us. He's like, this is not real. Someone, someone's going to wake me up. He was iconic. He was everywhere. He was in all the Sky Sports adverts. But yeah, he really captured the essence of the entire season, like this this wasn't supposed to happen. It felt like everybody knew, but at the end of that game, I think if you asked anyone from Man United, they knew. You asked anyone from Arsenal, they knew. And I remember I was in the press box for that game. And at the end of it, David Lacey, who was very esteemed writer on The Guardian, who I was a little bit afraid of, came up and uh, patted me on the back and said, well done, Amy, well done, Arsenal. And it was like, oh, shivers down the spine stuff, you know, thinking that, that Someone who was completely and utterly neutral and had, you know, no interest in this other than being a, a lover and a, a great recorder of all things football. You know, he could, he sensed it. Everybody sensed it. It was a massive result. Teams didn't do that to Manchester United. Fergie reckoned Arsenal would drop points. They didn't. They won their next nine games on the spin. 45 out of 51 points from Boxing Day. Won the league with two games to spare and followed that up with an FA Cup for a first double since 1971. Despite his disappointment, Andy Mitten was impressed. As a Man United fan, I had massive respect, not just for the, the, the football, not just for the manager. I never really got into the viciousness against Wenger, and some United fans hated him, absolutely hated him. I thought, I think he's a genius. He pushed Ferguson, and he didn't need a massive benefactor. They did it the Arsenal way. They brought sensibly. He had a better scouting network in Europe than Ferguson, which really pissed Ferguson off. The more recent Arsenal personality was based on boring, boring Arsenal, rightly or wrongly. That was the re reality of people's perceptions. So to play football that staggered people because of his aesthetic brilliance and that was this fantastic, very much of its time blend of sort of old-fashioned British values with this continental technical flamboyance and flair and imagination all in one cocktail. That was potent stuff and people were knocked out by it. And Andy Mitten tells us that it nearly changed history. And that summer, 98, Martin Edwards, the Man United chairman, accused Sir Alex Ferguson of taking his eye off the ball. Uh, Ferguson resigned for about five hours and then it's, no, I, 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 want, I want my job back. This was all internal, it never came out at the time. Of course he didn't leave. Instead, he signed Dwight York and Yap Stam. Arsenal added Carnu and Freddie Lundberg in a summer where Vieira and Petit won the World Cup. The next meeting was in the Charity Shield. Steve Armstrong, been involved with United We Stand fan team for uh, over a couple of decades now, um, writer for it, podcast host, and I've sold it. I still sell it outside the ground. Now I'm way too old to do that. Arsenal took United to pieces in the Charity Shield. Um, so we came on the back of being knocked off the perch by Arsenal. Arsenal do the double. Then you go to the Charity Shield, which is, it. right, let's get after this lot. They hammered United 3-0 and it was embarrassing. There was definitely lots for Ferguson to sort of think about. Arsenal followed that up by battering United at Highbury. Nicky Butt was sent off for smashing Vieira. Keane was booked for howling at the referee. Both teams were streets ahead. After a one-all draw at Old Trafford in the league, it all came down to an FA Cup semi-final replay at Villa Park in April. You know what's coming. Well, there's not quite a full house tonight. Complications in the selling of tickets, particularly the... I'm Barney Chilton uh, and I edit the fanzine Red News and I've been doing it since April the 20th, 1987. And then, obviously, we'd had quick turnarounds then, so tickets were easy to get hold of for that. But that meant that our end was a bit balmy. You know, it was um, less managed than it is now. So there was just a different feeling. And I remember 
Uh, I sold both games, and you just thought, this is... T- <laughs> God, Jesus, this is a totally different atmosphere tonight. The treble is still on. The back-to-back doubles still on for Arsenal, but something has to give by the end of the evening here. And they're, they're real rivals now. Back to Allen. These two managers of two teams, they're top of the league, they're outstanding. The winner's going to win the cup, guaranteed. You know the game. Arsenal fans will be chucking their phones out the window now. Amy was in the stadium. Manchester United suddenly find their world collapsing. Roy Keane had just been sent off. They lost their lead, they survived going behind, but now will they survive the dismissal of their captain? And that feeling that everything's going one way was really strong, even though the two teams were so closely matched and the games were always so intense, and you felt that they could flip on anything. All of a sudden, it felt like the pendulum swung quite far in one direction, which is probably what makes it such a classic game of its time because it swung so extremely in both directions. Man United are down to 10 men. Arsenal get a penalty. It's right at the end. David Ellery gives Arsenal the penalty. Would you believe it? In that moment just before the moment, you feel like sort of nothing could go wrong in a way. When Phil Neville appended Ray Parler in injury time and Dennis Bergkamp is stood over the ball, what the hell were United fans thinking? I'm Mark Gregory. I'm a United fan, followed him since 85. I don't know why. I don't know why. There was something about that year that you never thought it was it. And I, and I can't, I'm getting almost like shivering. I'm just thinking about it. It was, you know, in other years you'd be like, oh, and I'd be turning out to walk out the door and try and get in the pub before he scored it. That year, even, you know, in all of the games that we kept coming back, you never thought it was done. You never thought it was done. It's strange. Right, OK, well, my name's Pete Molyneux. I was the guy who, in 1989, decided to hold up a banner along the lines that Fergie should go. Uh, it, it actually said, three years of excuses and it's still crap to our Fergie. So we had two things in my mind. One was, OK, we could concentrate on the European Cup now if we do go out to this. The other one was, come on, let's start moving, because if this goes in, we get to the car quick and avoid the traffic. So about six of us shuffled slowly out of our seats while the hullabaloo was going on about the penalty. But I was happy to say, hey, got it wrong again, I'm a tosser. And I likened it to that moment in... I love Roy Orbison's Pretty Woman. And it's just a lovely little song about a guy trying to get this girl and he thinks he's not going to get the girl. Then all of a sudden she stops and he stops the music and goes, but wait, what do I see? Is she walking back to me? And that was our moment of seeing Burkamp miss the penalty and we walked back to our seats. I had a look at an archived minute-by-minute report and it stated that on 108 minutes, nothing was happening. A rather weary one from Vieira. Diggs. Then Patrick Vieira rolls that loose pass sideways and, you know, here's Mark Gregory. And I actually remember thinking, just hang on for half an hour, get it back to penalties again. And then, you know, Giggs gets the ball and you're screaming at him to pass it. Diggs. Gets past Vieira, past Dixon. Here's Barney again. There was nothing else in his brain than just head for goal. And I'm lucky enough to remember I was right by their fans behind the goal. And if you could bottle that moment, I'd take that drug every day of the year. You know the goal. Takes it round everyone. And we're not going to talk about his chest. Here's Mark Gregory. Neither is he. And people don't celebrate like that anymore. You know, if you go back to that, you should be all over the place. There should be limbs everywhere and you end up four seats down and you're trying to figure out where you are and it's, you know, you're missing things. It's just, and it was just chaos. When he knew it was all over, Pete Molyneux headed for the pitch. But it was a pitch invasion for the right reasons and there are pitch invasions for the right reasons in football. I fully believe in that. Sometimes you've got to say, whoa, hold on. You know, something so exhilarating had happened, you know, you could almost burst. It, it was it was fantastic. And on the way down there, I thought, the FA Cup isn't that important. And it bloody was important. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful fit to win any football match. Steve Armstrong knows it was massive. And I've been lucky enough to have been at, very, at many of those type of things. It was something that, for me, only that United team and that Arsenal team 
with those two managers could have produced. And it was just, a, you know, an incredible, incredible night. But I still believe that if that penalty had gone in, United would have won nothing that season and Arsenal would have won the double. Um, I, it, there was a rizzler between those two teams and that's how good they both were. Arsenal dreams of doing the double in successive seasons have been wrecked and it's Manchester United's night there. Own treble, Andy, still very much on track. United, of course, won the bloody lot. So my name's Leif Youssef. I'm the Arsenal correspondent for Football London. I've been watching Arsenal 35 years as a fan and a journalist. That was the moment that we could have stopped. Not only we could have got to the final, but we could have stopped United doing the treble and certainly won the league as well. That, so that was a dreadful season. And I think it's all rolled into the fact that you, you associate really bad memories with, with United. And players obviously felt that as well. And for me, that, that's when you start the, the rivalry proper. Despite the crushing psychological blow, Arsenal actually took the league down to the final day of the season. And we haven't got time now to talk about Barcelona. Clive Tildesley's probably still talking about it. But as Leith says, the rivalry was full bore. So let's have a quick break from the action to talk about the managers. Here's Jim White. This was the era of mind games. Both managers were very, very adept at playing the media. Ferguson as the brusque bully, Wenger as the apparently charming, but with a, a rapier concealed beneath his soft words. So both of them were very, very good, and both of them were very deliberate in what they said. So Wenger in particular would be, if there was any disciplinary issues, he'd come up with something in the press conference that he knew we would write about because it would detract away from what happened on the pitch. Fergie, if there was a defeat, he'd always uh, blaze away in the press conference, filling notebooks uh, for us to divert away from what had happened on the pitch. They were both adept at that. And Wenger would equally be uh, adept at taking the moral high ground. He was always very keen to look aloof and, uh, and above it, even though he was probably the worst loser who'd ever come out of France since Napoleon. There was no quarter asked for, and there was no quarter given. Here's Andy Mitten. Ferguson was... He felt that they were going to war. It was do or die. The mental part was really, really important in those games. So if you showed any sign of weakness, that would be ruthlessly exploited. Did they go too far? Yeah, I think they did. I think they'd admit that now. But you've got Ferguson behind you, basically saying, if you don't do this, you're not going to be playing. So what do you do? You've just got this, this I can't say madman, because he was a genius. But that's the environment which was which was created, which led to these battles between the two best teams in English football. Arsene Wenger realised he needed to rebuild. And while he was doing that, United won back-to-back -back league titles by 18 and 10 points respectively. Arsenal was second, but they were nowhere near. But their rivals? Their rivals missed them. Here's Mark Gregory. I think it clearly impacted him. And they were going through a bit of a transition as well with, you know, with the back four and things like that. So they were going through a bit of a transition. But, you know, it got a little bit silly at times. You know, you don't expect to put six past them and things like that. And actually, I sometimes wonder whether them not being there hampered us in Europe to a certain degree in those years. Because actually, if you've got someone really pushing you domestically, does that then keep you at a level whereby it's difficult if you're just swatting teams aside to then do the same when you come up against the better teams in Europe? And no one really looks back on those two title teams with any real you know it's great everyone looks to win the league but if you think about it the titles you remember are the ones where you get pushed to the push of the line with it that's not to say the games weren't interesting Keenan Vieira was still at it Thierry Henry had turned up and started doing ridiculous things and as Mark said United thrashed Arsenal 6-1 at Old Trafford in February 2001 you don't expect a scoreline like that it nearly ended Ashley Cole's career before it had even begun by the time the beginning of the 2001-2002 season rolled around, Wenger's rebuild was done. He'd lost some players, but he'd got Henri, he'd got Perez, he'd got Campbell. If you don't remember, Alex Ferguson had actually said he was leaving at the end of this season, but he had signed Van Nistelrooy. Fergie's news wasn't ideal. United weren't really at the races that season. By the time we get to May, Arsenal travel up to Old Trafford with the FA Cup already in the bag. Victory would guarantee a second double for Arsene Wenger. But here's the balance 
of power swinging away from Old Trafford. Arsenal can take the title home tonight to Highbury. So I'm Tim Stillman, I'm 35 years old. I've been a season ticket holder for 27 years. I got the coach actually up to Old Trafford and bit by bit this injury news came through. It's like, right, Tony Adams is injured. It's like, okay, Tony Adams is always injured. It's like, right, Bergkamp's injured. So, uh, okay, all right. And Pires was already injured. And then like when we were on the way up there, it's like Thierry Henry's injured. And it was like, oh, right, okay. And me and my mates were already just saying like, this is not going to happen. Like, man, you are not going to let this happen. We'll beat Everton at home on the final day and it'll be fine. But United are not going to let this happen on their own patch. The biggest thing I remember is for some reason, United left Van Nistelrooy out. They left him on the bench and played Forlan. That makes things better. Not, not just because Van Nistelrooy, as much as we hated him, was very good, but it just dropped the temperature of the game, I think. And of course he came on and punched someone in the stomach and did what he always does. Peter Wood was working at a shoe shop in Lakeside. I had a, my Nokia 3210 started vibrating. It was one of my cousins and he was like, we've got a ticket for Arsenal United. Do you want to come? And I was like, oh my God, I've got to go to Arsenal United away. And it was, I wasn't really allowed to go to away games when I was uh, young. That was where I'd get beaten up. And uh, we went up that, that day. Um, I remember walking from the car park and they were like, don't smile, with my hands in pockets, like keep quiet. And it was all very exciting. And um, there's nothing like an away day, but not many people will get to experience an away day where there's a league title at, at United of all places. So it was, it was just exciting start to finish. We got into the ground early, like my family sneaking me beers in, on, on the concourse. I always expected Arsenal to win. And we never lost without a fight. And it was a fight. Here are a couple of lines from a BBC match report. United were fortunate to survive the first half without losing at least one player to a red card. Ferguson's three-time champions were intent on knocking Arsenal out of their stride, but occasionally crossed the line into illegality. Roy Keane got in on the act by flattening midfield rival Patrick Vieira as temperatures threatened to boil over. But for all of Manchester United's bluster, Arsenal rarely came under threat. On 55 minutes, in that lovely gold kit, Sylvan Wiltord follows up a shot in the box. It's Freddie Youngberg again! Tim Stillman knew he was in trouble. And at this point, like everything goes very slow motion and I realise I'm stood next to a barrier, like a metal barrier. And so the ball rolls out to Wiltord and my first thought is, I look to my left at this metal barrier and I'm like, I'm about to get absolutely fucking crushed. Push out by Bartes, And uh, sure enough, that's exactly what happens. Everyone kind of piles into me, limbs everywhere. Reporting directly from his nightmares, Here's Ian Bland. I was sat in the North Stand when they won the league at Old Trafford and it was a, just a miserable night. It almost felt inevitable, I thought, that night. I, one of my abiding memories, I was, I, I don't know how I'd got it, but I was had a ticket right near the pitch. I had Vieira just a few feet away from me, warming up. And at that point, he just looked like an absolutely supreme athlete. And there was just a look about him, was, that guy cannot lose tonight. Um, he just had that aura about him at that moment of a, just absolute invincibility. Um, you know, there have been some really sort of devastating, desolate moments inside Old Trafford. There's been some great moments, but that was one of the most desolate moments I can remember when that goal went in. And, you know, apart from one corner of the ground going berserk, the rest of the ground just sank. There's not even any kind of jeering. It was just a, just a flat, resigned feeling. What I do remember after that, of course, is that you know when it ended, there was a lot of applause for the Arsenal team. A lot of United fans stayed behind. I was there, still in the ground while they were cavorting around, um, and a lot of United fans did stay behind and pay respect because you know ultimately they were a great team, and you have to you have to hand it to them sometimes. From Highbury, they are the champions. They have taken the title away from Manchester United, and they have done it here at Old Trafford. Laith Youssef has been to 80-odd games between the two clubs. But for this one... There's me telling me I've been every game. I was actually in Nicaragua then, which is like the only country in Central America that doesn't have football as a national sport. It's fucking baseball. 
So I'm like walking around trying to find a fucking bar that's got, you know, the most important game of football in the world, basically. And they couldn't find it anywhere. I remember sitting in this bar just fucking, you know, there's like the New York Yankees on against someone or just sitting there. Like, desperately, I'm like, a little transistor radio, whatever they call it these days, you know, to try and listen to BBC World Service, just trying to get the fucking, you know, the, the, the commentary and stuff. And then, you know, I was like, fucking, does anyone know who's won the fucking game? And eventually found out about an hour, hour later. But I remember going outside, I was like, how do I celebrate? Like, no one, no one cares, no one cares. And I walked down this road and it was, whatever, like, it was called Cal L Arsenal. And I've just stopped this random bloke. Yeah. I said, look, mate, just take a photo, look, look, Cal L Arsenal, like, and he just, just a complete idiot, basically. But I've still got that photo, and that means so much to me, because that was the night I was one So, yeah, I'd love to say I was at Old Trafford. That's one of the only games I've missed. But, uh, yeah, I suppose I celebrated in my own way, really. United finished third. I nearly forgot to mention that when Fergie was off, the board approached Wenger to take over from him. Imagine that. It's absolutely breathless, all this, isn't it? They're at each other in the press all the time that season. All the quotes are out there. It just never let up. And here we go again. An infamous FA Cup game where Alex Ferguson volleyed a boot at David Beckham's head would be really important, but not between these two. Arsenal were eight points clear in March. The bookies paid out early again. But by the time United travelled down to Highbury on April the 16th, 2003, the lead had been cut. I'll shut up. Here's Tim Stillman. Really, really tense. The, the sort of game you think about a week in advance. In fact, we had an FA Cup semi-final three days before, and it barely was on our radar, quite frankly. And um, and we went one nil down, and you think, oh god, here we go. And then we go two one up, and you think, right, we might do this. And and they equalise instantly uh, within a minute. And I think if we'd have held that lead just for another two or three minutes. I think that season turns out very, very differently. That felt like a real sliding doors moment. After Giggs equalised, Sol Campbell was sent off for a massive elbow on Oli Solskjaer, flattens him, and he'd missed the rest of the running. The final whistle blew and Fergie raced across the pitch to the fans. Here's Alan. He wasn't happy. He knew he shouldn't have that leak. He knew it. That's real big, big willy stuff, you know. On, I'm going out on their pit. The idea of Wenger going out and walking around, you know, I, I hate seeing a manager on a pitch. I really, unless he's breaking up a fight, you are, you'll stay the other side of the white line. Fergie, it was unusual for him to go on the pitch, but he knew what that meant, and they did. They nicked that league in 03. We had a couple of other defeats in the run-in where things, the wheels came off. For Ian Bland, it was dreamland. Ferguson deliberately, again, this is similar to what he did at Villa Park in the FA Cup semi-final, deliberately goes over to the United fans in a very provocative gesture, um, just applauding them, whipping up the atmosphere, knew exactly what he was doing, knew whose skin he was getting under at that point. That's what Ferguson was a master at. But there was definite psychological tactics being used there. He was, you know, he's a master of PR um, and he did things like that to really definitely goad Arsene Wenger and make a, make a statement. Fantastic. That's, that's, that's our manager. That's what I want to see our manager doing. You probably know this. Arsenal never won back-to-back -back leagues under Wenger. And this is the one that all the fans point to as absolutely pivotal. Arsenal blew the title after that. United held their nerve. It was Alex Ferguson at his dogmatic best, creating a siege mentality and refusing to blink. The charity shield at the beginning of the following season was open warfare. Franny Jeffers, remember him? Franny Jeffers was sent off for volleying Phil Neville in the stomach. Ashley Cole leathered Solskjaer. Campbell twatted Jemba Jemba. Arsenal won on penalties. Charity shields have never meant anything since, and neither have nil-nil draws. Arsenal travelled north on September the 21st, unbeaten since the final day of the previous season. You know this game. It's the Battle of Old Trafford, and I think it's when memes were invented. It's not a great example, so many of you youngsters watching, but it is heated at the highest level. I'm not going to go down well with any purist, but... Here's Barney Chilton. I grew up in an era where you can still kick shit out of another player. It's not very good to say, but if you can and you can get away with it, there's, there, there was no finer uh, sight in sport. Sometimes if you couldn't do it with brilliance, you could do it with brawn. 
Van Nistelrooy, can you make a run off him? After 81 minutes, Ruud van Nistelrooy jumped on Patrick Vieira. And this is the exact moment he became public enemy number one. The whistle blew. Vieira sort of aims an air kick at him. And let's be honest here, United fans, Van Nistelrooy made an absolute meal of it. It was nowhere near him. Vieira gets sent off. Ten minutes later, United get a penalty. It's basically going to be the last kick of the game. You know who's going to take it. Van Nistelrooy with Keon all over it. Back to Alan Davis. Keon and Van Nistelrooy, that's just hilarious. Van Nistelrooy, again, you have to, the difference between losing a game or, or, or fisticuffs or fights, and then between that and cheating, cheating is you can't, what you can't stand. And Van Nistelrooy was a cheat. You don't want to see it, but you can understand it. He's rankled them, not just today, but in other matches as well. He would try to get people sent off, he would dive, he was sly, he'd do nasty things himself, he liked to dish it out and couldn't take it. He was dirty and he was a cheat. Never got over that one, have you, Al? Here's Tim Stillman. He's still fuming. Like, I've never, as the years have progressed, I've never gone, yeah, yeah, or he probably wasn't such a bad guy. And uh, I remember, you know, looking on at that scene, for example, and it did not horrify me in the slightest. And I realised that I'm not objective here, but I wasn't like, you know, when I got outside, I thought, oh, maybe this is too much. But on the pitch, I was thinking, someone punch him. Like, like jumping on his back is not enough. If Martin Keown wants to take a 10-match ban for, like, spreading his nose across his face, that is fine with me. And in a way, I still feel like that, <laughs> to be quite honest. If there's anybody out there who still hasn't seen this, go and have a look. It's like, I don't, not out-of-body experience, but I can remember just bile coming out of my mouth at the end, seeing it all, after the penalty. And Keown, obviously, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it still winds me up to this day when I see a photo of it. And when, you know, he can come all sophisticated, wearing his bloody jumper on a fucking match a day or whatever, but come off it. That's, you, that's your real self. You showed your true side there. The fallout was magic. Wenger went after Van Nistelrooy. Fergie defended him. And there were fines, bans and disrepute charges knocking about all over the shop. What a time to be alive. Of course, that was Arsenal's invincible season. United fans will happily tell you they never lost them in the league and they beat them in the FA Cup. We are at absolute peak spike now. The players hate each other. The managers are constantly at it. So 13 months later, what everybody absolutely needed was Arsenal travelling up the M6 again with a 49-game unbeaten run to protect. Manchester United stand between the champions and a historic and totally unprecedented half-century. Here's Steve Armstrong. It was great because United were underdogs. United weren't even favourites, which was very rare. Um, even if they weren't the best team in the country, you'd always expect them to be favourites at home. But it was the way they went about winning that game. And the thing I loved about Ferguson and great managers, they don't just say, here's our style, let's hope we're good enough for today. You know, he clearly adapted to what needed to happen to win that game of football. And he sent United out there to literally kick seven bells out of Arsenal. Arsenal were a better footballing team, but they didn't like it up. And it was everyone to a man getting stuck in, dirty tackles, elbows, proper snide stuff. And it was magnificent to watch. Pete Molyneux also loved it. And it, it was raucous right from the very, very start. There was no, no let up. And it was blood and guts and thunder as well. And we got stuck into Arsenal. And um, do you know, I believe at half time, I think this story is true, that Roy Carroll was in goal for United. And he found out that under their shirts, Arsenal had a lot of T-shirts. We're all wearing a T-shirt with 50 not out. That at the end of the game, I guess, that are whips off for the cameras or their fans and whatever. And imagine that picture at Old Trafford. I believe he told Gary Neville, and Gary Neville told Fergie, and Fergie told the players at half-time. I honestly think that if this game was refereed now, it would be abandoned well before the end. And it's mad, isn't it? It's mad how sport throws up these things. Ruud van Nistelrooy tried to kneecap Ashley Cole. He got away with it. And then Wayne Rooney... Well, it's a dive. You know who's going to take the penalty. 
But we're eight years into the rivalry now. It's silly. I mean, how many games, how many big games did they play where everything was on the line? Alan Davis was at Old Trafford. Twice in my career, as a fan, my career, I've had a real sense of injustice, real serious injustice. One was at the new Camp the night we lost to Barcelona. The other time I thought the game was bent was, uh, was at Old Trafford. Some study had been done by that 81% of contentious decisions at Old Trafford go the way of the home side. Some, some smart aleck at Loughborough University did it, right? So it was a kind of a known thing, the Old Trafford effect. And they really, really wanted to beat us. Arsenal lose at long, long last. The honour of ending a record run goes to... There would be no 50 games unbeaten. They are singing in the rain at Old Trafford. And, well, listen to what we missed out on. So a guy I know had a banner made up and it was really, really good and it's such a shame on so many levels that the world never saw this, but he had a massive banner made up uh, which was a cannon firing cannons at Alex Ferguson's bare ass, and all of the cannons had little 50s on them and he went to great lengths and expense to get this made up and obviously he can't unfurl that. And uh, I asked him, I saw him like a couple of weeks later, I was like, what did you do with that? And he was like, it's like down one of the toilets in the away end. He was like, they've got a bit of a blockage there at the moment. He was like, I couldn't even just leave it. He was like, I didn't want anyone to see it. So I just had to like stuff it down the U-bends. Everyone tells us Arsenal have never been the same. Here's Leith Youssef. Wenger always would talk about confidence. I remember thinking like, is confidence that important? Is it, is it really important? But obviously it was because he built this beautiful edifice, beautiful players, talented players, creative players, strong players, you thought as well, and they were to a certain extent, but it all crumbled after fucking losing to United. And yeah, you can argue about the fact that, you know, we were hard done by and you can feel sorry for yourself and all that. And they did. And you don't want that. Arsenal players shouldn't feel sorry for themselves. Arsenal's a club shouldn't never feel sorry for them. It's a classy club, you know, and they, they, they were destroyed by that. Peter Wood pinpoints it as a moment that changed everything. If anything ended Wenger as an elite world-class manager, I think it was, I think it was that run because it, it said to the rest of the Premier League, the way that you get to Arsenal is you kick the shit out of them because it, it, it was more than losing uh, an invincible run. It was losing the best coach in the world and it was losing that aura of power that we had. Um, he ne Wenger never had an answer for it. That was like in front of the whole world. That was, you know, watching your dad get beaten up in the pub type thing. The physicality had always been there, but it had reached its zenith. In April 2005, United travelled to Highbury for the last time. It's that game where Roy Keane went at Patrick Vieira in the tunnel for having a go at Gary Neville. Here's Tim Stillman. And you, you can't have this conversation without talking about the two captains, Vieira and Keane. And the thing I remember most about away games during that time, uh, just in general, you know, even home games as well, Vieira, always the first chant that goes up. Before Omri, before Perez, before Bergkamp, Vieira is the one, you know, always Vieira, always. And at away games, I, I felt like, you know, he became a symbol somehow. And like when games got a bit feisty, a bit tense, it was Vieira's name that went up. Like for Arsenal fans, we, I think, we almost lived vicariously through him on the pitch. We looked to him even more than the brilliant creative players we had. And I'm sure the same, you know, a United fan would say the same about Roy Keane. First of all, it was me on the field as a staunch, die-hard fan. And it was Alex Ferguson on the field as well. Pete Molyneux loved his captain. He, he was the embodiment of the Stratford and, and Fergie. It was the epitome of the great captain. Bloody hell, you'd take him. If you had to go to, did have to go to war, I'd want to go in the trenches with Roy Keane. I'd choose to go with him. Despite the words sticking in his throat, Alan Davis actually really respected Roy Keane. He had to respect Keane because he was a very difficult opponent and he was a bit crazy. I remember he was crazy when he was at Forest, but I do remember wishing that Arsenal would buy him because that's the sort of crazy that you need, right? It's the sort of crazy you want on your team and not on the other team. But I, I don't know, I, the Keane and Vieira thing was played up quite a lot. They were volatile and they were tough and they were leaders. Keane was about half his size, but it didn't never, that never seemed to bother him. <laughs> Here's Ian Bland to wrap it up. Roy Keane and Patrick Vieira, did they respect each other? I think ultimately, yes. And I think the way they paid that respect was 
trying to destroy each other, ultimately. Abramovich had turned up. Chelsea were firing 50 quid notes all over the place. Arsenal finished second, United finished third. Chelsea won it. Things were changing. Arsenal were going to be leaving Highbury and the Glazers were taking over at Old Trafford. They did have an FA Cup final to contest though. That for me was the only time Wenger ever, you know, he compromised on all his principles to, to, to have, like, it was basically, was it a 5-4-1? And we were just going, we don't care, who cares whether we fucking compromised our fucking ethos of always wanting to play football? Because I watched Arsenal in the 80s. I remember seeing five nil nils in a row. You know, it was just like, you cross the halfway line, you think it was entertaining. Peter Wood was there with his dad. We're, we're going through the motions because it was just so unbelievably horrendous. And I remember watching the penalty shootout with my arm around him. I remember when Patrick Vieira scored that goal and just the elation. That was one of the worst FA Cup finals I've ever been to, but also one of the most spectacular feelings I had. And I, was, I, and I remember thinking that when all is said and done with my dad, that'll be a memory, like me and him. Patrick Vieira's winning penalty was the last kick in his Arsenal career. Roy Keane left Manchester United after a massive row early the next season. It wasn't the end of Ferguson and Wenger, but the rivalry had capsized. Here's Amy Lawrence on the pair of them. In the height of their mutual antipathy, I think it was impossible to imagine them sitting civilly across a table sharing a glass of wine and a, and a quip. However, the two men have so many common traits both fiercely intelligent, fiercely intelligent. And I remember thinking of both of them at the time, and it's not something I've felt of many managers, even some of the cleverest and most brilliant, that these two men, had they chosen a totally different path, they would have been amongst the best at what they do. And it could have been anything. And I don't say that lightly. I don't think that that is true of most managers but you felt it in both of them. They were special people. They're both really funny as well, with an incredibly sharp sense of humour. And also, with a, a real human touch, they could both have a capacity to make someone feel special if they met you. They were hewn, is that the right word, out of different materials. They are joined by their desire, by their objectivity, by their will to prove them and themselves and their team to be the best. They just chose different paths to do it. But it was very narrow, the, di the difference in, in that sense. What you saw was a behaviour on the surface of Fergie being the more animated person, whereas Wenger tried to stay calm. But in terms of what they wanted for their team, their players, their fans, their club, it was so close. Here's Andy Mitten and Alan Davis. I think Wenger's teams needed to be belligerent because English football is aggressive, it's hard, it's 90 minutes, uh, it's non-stop. The fans demand that you're flying into tackles until the 90th minute. So you need to be aggressive, you need to be up for it. And if, if Wenger's going to war with someone like Ferguson, which he has to do if he's going to get the better of him, then how's he, he's got to use the assets which his team have got. And aggression was one of them. He had to do it. They had to be a hard team. They were a feisty side. And from an Arsenal point of view, you would think, well, what do you expect when teams are coming to kick you to pieces? What do you think is going to happen? What they wanted us to do was to turn up with our fancy football and then give up when, it, when the going got tough and it was raining and three people are kicking you at once. Well, it turns out you lose two teeth and we'll, we'll beat you with ten men. That's what happened. And we didn't, really didn't care about how many cards we got. We welcomed as many bookings as possible. We relished that. Mentally, physically... I felt that sometimes that they were too dirty, but I'm sure Arsenal fans' opinion of Sir Alex Ferguson was less than glowing on many occasions. And that's, that's the tribalism of football. That's why we love it, but it doesn't always stand up to scrutiny. But when, when we were wrapped in all those games, it was great. It would be too simple to say that Wenger won a load of battles and Ferguson won the war. In those nine seasons, Arsenal won three leagues and four FA Cups. United five leagues, two FA Cups, and the European Cup. And we all know what happened after that. Fergie building a great team again. Wenger working miracles with no money. 
we also know where both clubs are now. Like we said before, rivalry matters most to the fans. So what do they miss about it? What did it mean to them? Laith, Steve, Amy, Jim, Peter, Mark and Tim. But it felt like the world stopped. Not so much the world was, was watching, the world would stop to watch Arsenal Man United. We're never going to see that level of longevity where something can get so deep-rooted. We're never going to see that ever again. And that is why it will always be the greatest rivalry between two teams pretty much on all fronts that there's ever been, certainly in this country. And it'll never be repeated, no doubt about it. You know, the reason we watch football is because we care and because it's emotional and it makes us feel stuff. In that era and amongst those groups of players, clubs, staff, extend it as much as you will, hatred, which was fuel somehow to both of them. And it was fascinating and it really meant something because there were so many emotions going on behind all the technical work and all the brilliance that we saw on the pitch. There's nothing to touch that like the blue touch paper antagonism that there was between Fergie and Wenger. Nothing to touch it. It was like a smouldering volcano all the time. The Arsenal-United rivalry and the, the football that Wenger gave me through those years, like that was me and my dad. And it's very difficult to understand the highs and lows and what you learn about each other and like weirdly what you learn about life and dealing with defeat and dealing with the ups and downs and just all of the bits that are around it. Like this is more than a rivalry. It's just a beautiful personal memory that I'll, I'll carry through, so. There's always a grudging respect there. And I think, you know, it should be that way. And I, and I don't think, you know, if you look back between what, 98 and 2003, top two every time in title races every time, you don't have that now. I'd be surprised if you got that again. We're not, you know, not been in a title race really for, well, six years. And you forget that feeling of like every game you can't lose and the, just the pressure and the focus and the, yeah, you miss it. My heart probably doesn't, my blood pressure's probably gone down, but it's, it's not the same. At the time, like I was going with my granddad and I just remember him saying to me, he's like, I've been coming here since like, you know, just after the war. And he was like, this is the best Arsenal team you're ever going to watch. Drink it in. Because he was like, when you're my age, you probably won't see an Arsenal team like this. And uh, that, that gave me like a great perspective, you know, that kind of, Right, I've got, I've got to like really, really appreciate this and know that it's probably not going to happen again. I, I miss it, and I knew I would. I knew I would. Like, it's not, it's not something I took for granted. Will two teams ever dominate the top of the Premier League for a decade? I doubt it. And I'm pretty sure that from the managers to the fans to the players, we will never see that level of animosity again. It was non-stop, it was thrilling, it was fun, and it is English football's last great rivalry. Giant is a Spotify original in association with Mundial. English football's last great rivalry was created by Seb White and Mio in Blackhurst for Mundial. Executively produced and edited by Tayo Papula. Original music by Harry Harris. Additional production by Tom Glasser, Joel Grove and Tom Griffin. Archive assistance by Andrew Tomchak. Research and transcription by Max Freeman Mills and Andrew Martin. Thanks to Bill Murray at Sky Sports for the archive. And special thanks to Alan, Amy, Barry, Laith, Pete and Tim in North London. And in the Northwest, Andy, Barney, Ian, Jim, Mark and Pete. Thank you for listening to Giant. New episodes drop every Thursday, exclusively on Spotify. you've enjoyed Giant, why not check out Football Legends on Spotify? Each episode takes a story from a footballer's autobiography and gloriously dissects it. And it is right up your street. Search for Football Legends on Spotify now.